Well, let's jump into the Word today and consider some Christmas themes from Matthew chapter 2. We're in Matthew chapter 2, and uh, we start with some news that affects your life. If you ever get news, something comes, someone tells you something, a change is coming, and it impacts you. I remember we had this. This is a photo of our house. When we first moved into our house, we were the first house in our section of the neighborhood. So you see our house, and then you see all these open lots. And if you look real close behind that van, I don't know if you can see it on the screen, there's a little teeny guy out there. That's little TT. But... Um, so the cool thing of when we moved in there is we just had the place to ourselves. We had dogs. We just let the dog go out and wherever they went to the bathroom was fine because I didn't have to pursue it or chase. It was just go wherever. We could ride bikes without fears of cars. I even loved just to you know eat the apple and just throw the core out in the field because what does it matter? We've got this whole place to ourselves. And there was just something fun about that. It was just kind of like we had this massive area that we could do what we wanted and and uh, be free and not worry about things. And then they began to develop. And we knew it was coming, and then the construction starts coming, and then blink before you know, full neighborhood, and I have to be responsible for my dogs. But um, in all seriousness, some of my neighbors might be watching. We love our neighborhood, and we love our neighbors. And we've enjoyed being part of a community. So, And that's absolute truth. We love our neighborhood and our neighbors. And... Uh, but it was a change, right? It's going to change. It's going to change how you function. It's going to change how you operate. We went from feeling like we had, I don't know, five acres of land to, you know, 0.06 acre of land or whatever our lot is. I don't know. You can see the fence around it there. It's pretty small. Uh, so just change things. Some news comes. You hear it. You go, okay, this is going to impact how I live. And that is what we see in the Christmas story after the birth of Jesus. Some news comes that impacts the people. It affects the people who hear it. So I want to look at the impacts and look at people's responses to this news of a newborn Savior. So we're going to look in Matthew chapter 2, and uh, this picks up after the birth of Jesus. This is where it picks up in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. We'll, look, we'll start with verses 1 through 12. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, Bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. 
Then, opening their treasures, they'd offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. All right, so I want us to look at some different, uh, some different reactions to this situation, right? These visitors come, wise men, magi, these visitors come, and they, uh, they come bringing this news here. It says, after the king was born, the wise men come from the east, and they come to Jerusalem, and they go like, well, we're looking for a king, we think a king's going to be born, so they go to the palace to visit the current king, right? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star. There's a lot of mystery. There's a lot of guesses. Who are these guys? Why are they there? Where did they come from? What did they know? And it's, it's really all guesses. It very well could have come from Babylon, Persia area, modern-day Iran. There is some thoughts or connections. This could be traced to where Daniel was taken uh, and, and imprisoned there. But these guys show up, and they come into the king, and they say, Hey, we're, we're looking for the new king. Born king of the Jews. And uh, what do you think he's thinking? Right? What do you think? Wait, did I have a kid? Right? If you're the king and there's going to be a new king, it's your kid. So he's probably like, what, uh, what do I do here? So I want us to just look at the reaction. I want us to look at the reaction to this news. These guys come in from the east. They say we're worshiping. Uh, we're here to worship a king. We're following some kind of star. How do people respond to that news? Right? Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star. What does it say? When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, we, we a lot of times think and we have our uh, displays show three wise men. There was three gifts. There could have been 48 wise men for all I know. Enough that the whole town knew about it, right? Not every visitor to the king's palace is told to the city. There must have been enough of this group coming. Maybe they traveled with multiple camels and attendants, and I don't know. Enough that when they show up and they say, hey, we're looking for the king, the people in the town are like, wait, we, we didn't hear about a king born. Did you hear about a king born? I didn't hear about Who are these people? It says they are troubled. That means stirred up causing great mental distress, right? It was, this wasn't exciting. This wasn't well thought. They, they weren't like, oh, good news. I'm glad you came to tell us. We'll look for him too. They were upset. Like, why didn't we know? Where did these guys come from? What did they see that we didn't see? What are these? They're, they're distressed. They're stirred up. So what I want us to do is look at some different Reactions. The reaction of Herod here, first he says, well, let's, let's get everybody together and figure this out, right? So he assembles the chief priests and the scribes, right? People in the Jewish faith that would know God's word, the scribes would know the Old Testament because they copy it down and make new copies of it by hand. The Bible talks about, well, the Messiah is going to come, the king's going to come, so where is he? Where is he going to be? Did God give these details? So he pulls together the, the top team of religious leaders, and they, he says, hey, wh- where's this kid supposed to be born anyways? Where's this Messiah guy supposed to be? And they go, oh, well, we know that. It's Bethlehem, right? And so they quote two, two passages here. They, they quote uh, from Micah 5.2, you Bethlehem in the land of Judah, 
You're by no means least among the rulers of Judah, right? For from you shall come a ruler. So they're saying, yeah, Bethlehem was promised. And then there's another verse mashed onto there from 2 Samuel 5.2 here, or 5.7. There shall come from you a ruler who will shepherd my people. So they have the scriptures. The scriptures say the Messiah is coming to Bethlehem. The crack team of leaders pulls it together. They know about it. And so Herod says, okay, hey, what day did the star come? It's probably been a little while, right? It's probably been a little while. And he says, all right, go find him, right? He said, go search for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I may come worship him. So they do, and they head out. And after listening, they went on their way. And the star shows up and comes to where the child is. So that's the scene. Guys come from out of town. They're saying, hey, we've heard a king is born. We've seen something in the stars that's pointing to that. And uh, they go, well, better look in Bethlehem. So I want to look first at the reaction of all these religious leaders. They know the scriptures. They correctly identify the location. And Herod sends the wise men to go search them out. But we don't have anything in the story that says what they did. I think they have a response of indifference. These are people that spend their life copying the Bible, knowing the prophecies. They, Herod summons them. They didn't say, I don't know, give us a week to figure out which prophecy. They know it. Bethlehem. They quote it, right? Here it is. It's right here. Actually, there's two of them. So they give it to them. The chief priests, they should be the ones that go, wait, you've seen a sign of a Messiah? You think he's coming? The thing God's been promising? Forget the wise men. We're going. We don't see that. Indifference. Lack of interest or concern. The quality, I like, this is called the quality. The quality of not caring about or being interested in something or someone. Indifference. Years ago, I saw a little brief Seinfeld sketch. It was like one of those at the end of the show, and he did about chewing gum. And he said, when you're chewing gum, you just send this message you don't care. Does Messiah be born? Yeah, we know. Where's he going to be? It's down in Bethlehem. Should we see it? It's kind of a long walk. Doesn't it just like, hey, what's the big deal here, right? Where's he going to be born? Uh, you know, this is five miles away. Do you know any prophecies? Yeah, several right here. Right? What's this? They don't run. They don't go. If you like chewing gum, that's not an insult. You can be mad at Seinfeld. But it just gives you that vision. Like, these people say we've seen a star. This pointing to the birth of Christ that God's been promising for hundreds of years. They're so excited they do nothing. They don't go. They don't put together gifts. The people from out of town have traveled thousands of miles come with gifts. They don't come with gifts. They do nothing. They're indifferent. Doesn't seem to matter. Well, we'll see. Back to life as usual. I mean, what's the point? It's not a big deal. This is the story of Christ. And this is earlier in Matthew. It says, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The whole Christmas story is that God decided to descend, decided to come down, decided to come rescue, take on human form. And there's just this thing that we can just kind of be like, eh, old story. And I'm urging, if you're in this kind of place of indifference, like, well, I've got other things going. I just urge you to reconsider the news. God has come for us. 
He's come at least look into it. They don't even seem to look into it. They don't seem to care. It doesn't seem to matter. There's no report. God has come for us. So that's the first group of response was really a non-response. It was an indifferent response. Now let's look at the reaction of King Herod. Okay, he's the king. He's on the throne. All right, so the, the uh, wise men, they get there. They find Jesus. They give the gifts. And then it says they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. So God said, don't go back to that guy. You know, this is, it's a trap. So they don't go back. And then if you jump down to verse uh, 16, this is the part of the Christmas story we don't always tell. It says, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. That's horrid, right? I mean, it's just, it's just horrible. Now, scholars estimate based on population and likely birth rates in the region and so on, this could be 20 to 30 kids. So we're not talking about massacres of thousands, but it's still massacres of 20, 30. We, we looked at this passage today with uh, the middle school boys downstairs, right? And I said, what if one person in your school had their family member murdered? What if 20 people in your school? Like, it, it's overwhelmingly horrific, if just, just that thought. Why does he do that? I mean, the stories of Herod are terrible. He's killed some of his own sons. He killed a wife. But I think he's just feeling this is very logical. I'm removing the threat to my throne. So people show up and say, a new king is born. I'm the king. The succession of kingship comes from me. I don't care about some boys in this other town. I don't care about who this is. I, you know, the wise men tricked me. So, hey, I'm just going to have to do the next best thing. We're just going to have to get them all then. Now, the part I didn't read is that God had already warned the family to, to go to Egypt. So Jesus was already out of the area. But this is horrific. Tim Keller wrote a, a great Christmas book here. It's called Hidden Christmas, The Surprising Truth Behind the Birth of Christ. And he talks about this issue of, of Herod and the, his desire to protect the throne and how that actually still plays out in our lives today. Keller says this, If you want to be king... And someone else comes along saying, he is the king. Then one of you has to give in. Only one person can sit on an absolute throne. It is a claim of absolute authority. A summons to unconditional loyalty. And it inevitably triggers deep resistance within the human heart. If someone comes along, if Jesus Christ comes along and says, I'm the king, and not just the king of a region or a town, I'm the king of the universe, the creator, I reign over all, it can trigger within us a, yeah, but this is my life, right? I, I reign here. It creates a conflict. In the most extreme form, you see Herod killing, but it can take different forms. Romans 8, 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. The flesh, this life, this world, my life, there's a hostility. I'm in control, not God. He doesn't tell me what to do. I tell what to do. There's conflict. 
Now, some I think that's just too extreme. I don't like and meet a Herod, right? I wouldn't murder. I wouldn't kill. And, and you're right, right? This is the extreme example of this crazy king who was a murderer. But the reasoning is similar. I'm in control. My kingdom, my crown. He had a whole different level. But we can go there. We can, uh, we can find other ways to protect our throne, my life. I do what I want. I'm in control here. There's other ways that we can say, Jesus, you don't get to reign here. So here's some ways that this happens. This movement of deconstruction. I'll prove why I won't believe. And I think a lot of this comes from I'm mad at God. I'm mad at how my life turned out. He didn't answer that prayer. This doesn't make sense to me. And so when there's this conflict and this dissonance, one option is, well, I will just prove why I don't have to believe. I will create a reason why he doesn't get the throne in my life. And so you can go to any number of websites and come up with any number of arguments. You say, okay, this is why, and I don't trust the New Testament, and I don't believe in wise men following stars, and this is all a, a house of cards. And so you can come up with any number of reasons why. What I would suggest is a lot of times we're looking for reasons and we don't question other belief systems the same way. We just kind of say, I don't want Jesus to reign, therefore I'm going to come up with reasons why I don't have to listen. I'm king. Another one is there can be philosophical objections. Why is there so much evil and suffering? Right, right now, we have wars right now. Right now, we have refugees all over Europe right now. God can't be good. He can't be loving. Therefore, he can't come in here. And there are answers to these, but a lot of times the answer isn't really the issue. It's, it's my throne. Some have social, cultural objections. You reject God's sexual ethic, the Bible's view of sexuality, gender, marriage. Like, no, that's too restrictive. That's too hurtful. He's not coming in here. Some are just saying, you know what? I just don't need God. Why would I bother? Life is good. I got what I need. Things are going fine. He's intrusive. I don't want to bother with that. I'm, I'm good. I'm my own king. And so I just want us to consider do we really want to create that space? Do we really want to reject? I know there's an immediate when someone says, I'm king, and you're thinking, but I'm king. We come to conflict and think, I have to win. But I want us to look at the response of the wise men and consider why we would want him to be king. What did the wise men do? Oh, we'll skip that. What did the wise men do? All right, it says, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they'd seen when it rose went before them, and it came to where he was. And they saw the star, they rejoiced. Hey, God's showing us where to go. It says, and they went into the house. So this is sometime after the birth. They're not in a place with animals anymore. He's, that's why they you know, are looking at two years or younger. They, when they saw the child with Mary, his mother, they fell down and worshipped him. Just, to, just an aside here. It doesn't say they worshipped them. We just need to see that. Mary is there with the child. That doesn't say they worshipped Mary and Jesus. It's just Jesus. They worshipped him, not them. And they opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. The focus is Jesus. We just, just throw that in there. 
But they come, they travel all this way, they're watching the stars, they're, they're, I don't know what they're seeing or doing, but what would make them respond like that? The middle school boys are sharp, right? We had a good study this morning, guys, right? After we were working on the leaking closet, then we opened God's word. But uh, they picked up on the fact that Jesus has come for the Gentiles. He has a worldwide mission. So at his birth, Gentiles are drawn in. So nice work, middle school boys. So I just want us to look at some scriptures that tell us who is this king that was born and why would I want to give him my throne? Hebrews 1.3 says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So from eternity, he was creator and Lord. He comes down as the exact representation of God. And this is he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And he just almost throws this line in. Oh, yeah, he made purification for sins. The eternal reigning son of God lowered himself to die for our sins. In John 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This king came to give us life, not to take. He's not trying to rob us, harm us. That's the evil one. That's the thief. Further down that chapter, he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. So here's the point I want us to just consider today, that we would trust the good king with your throne. Trust the good king. He's not the crazy Herod king. He's not the king of rulers of the world today that are seeking power and and are out for themselves, out to make a name for themselves. He came to bring you into his name, right? That we would be in his family, that we would be with him for eternity. There's, I love this uh, series of movies and books, The Lord of the Rings. This is a picture from The Fellowship of the Ring. And that's Gandalf, the wise wizard. And he comes over to the house of of Bilbo, and Bilbo has found this ring of power. And what Gandalf begins to figure out is that this ring is from the Dark Lord Sauron, and this ring is tied to evil and destruction. It must be destroyed. And Bilbo decides he kind of likes the ring, and he doesn't really want to give it to Gandalf to be destroyed because it has given him long life, and when he puts it on, he can turn invisible, which comes in handy at times. And so at one point, he says, you know, I'm not going to give it to you. It's mine. It's my own. And Gandalf finally gets in this big voice, and he says, I am not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to take something from you. I'm trying to help you. A lot of times we feel like God's trying to rob our life, take our life, take control of our life. He's going to take me where I don't want to go, make me do what I don't want to do. And the gospel story is like, no, I actually came to give you life. It might look different than what you were thinking, but it's life, and it's life eternal. 
So he says, trust the good king with your throne. If you're in a place of indifference, like, man, I've heard the story. This is worth looking into. This is worth seeking. If you're in a place where you're like, you know what? I'd encourage you to search the why. What, what is in your heart that's resisting? Is there a hurt? Is there something going way back? Is there a disappointment? And so you've pushed God back to maybe take that to God and just begin to talk that through. Why did this happen? How can I resolve it? How, what good do you have for me? And then always, even if you know Jesus, there's always can still be that power struggle. <laughs> Give me the will. No, I want the will. Just say, if he can do all this, if he can come, if he can direct wise men, if he can be born as a child, if he can die and rise again, he's worthy of our life, our praise, our devotion. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've come. And I pray that we would not have hearts of indifference or hostility, but we would be like the wise men, like the magi. We just worship you. We'd give you gifts. We'd give you our life. Direct us, Lord. Lord, we just thank you for this season. Again, we pray for you to do work in many hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.